Welcome to the Rockbrook Church Podcast. Our hope is that today's message brings you hope and clarity for your spiritual journey. We love hearing how God is working in your life. Feel free to share any stories of how this message gave you a new perspective and hope. Email us at church at rockbrook.org to tell your story. Hi everyone, my name is Ryland, pastor here at Rockbrook, and it's just my joy to welcome you to church today, whether you're in the room, watching online, listening later this week. Uh, today is, or this weekend is the one-year birthday of our online service, and so we're grateful for that, celebrating that. We're in a sermon series called Refreshing Relationships. Next week will be our last week of this series, as we will look at what to do when someone has turned from the truth. And then guess what? After that, the weekend after that is Easter. Can you believe that? I feel like the year just started and we're already going to Easter. And I love it. From kids to adults, we're planning a powerful Easter weekend for you. I'm excited to invite you and your family to it. That weekend, I'm going to preach uh, the Gospels, answering specifically the questions, why did Jesus have to die? And why did he have to rise from the dead? It would be a great service for you, your family. It would be a great service to bring someone with you so they can understand why you decided to believe in Jesus Christ and they can understand the hope and the comfort that is offered there. Uh, we've got invite cards and stuff to help you with that. During the announcements today, you can hear the, the details of those services and you'll be excited to hear those that weekend, I'm launching a new series called The Life of Christ in You. I'm absolutely thrilled about it. There is nothing more important in life than getting to know Jesus. So in this series, we're going to look each week at a different event in Jesus' life and then see how that impacts our life, how Jesus can help us when we are suffering, when we are tempted, when we are facing death, how we can leverage those challenges to fulfill uh, God's plan for our life. Um, really, it's the Easter message is gonna take me nine weeks, okay? But I, I didn't wanna give you a, a five-hour sermon that day, but uh, that's, that's what that is, and I'm really thrilled about it. I think it's gonna be a monumental, important series for 2021. And so just thank you, thank you to all the people who help uh, make Easter happen and the season happen from serving an RBFK to the worship team that leads us so powerfully, the baptism team that makes a way for people to declare that they are with Christ and so many people uh, serving on the dream team, we call it, uh, that are making ministry happen in so many different ways. I'm looking forward to the days ahead. Are you as well? Say yes. yes. There was a man whose daughter said to him, the words every father fears. Dad, I found the man I wanna marry and he's coming over tomorrow so you can meet him. The dad thought, well, this will be interesting. So three o'clock the next day, Bobby knocks on the door and says, hi, I'm Bobby and I want to marry your daughter. The dad says, well, Bobby, let me get to know you. Uh, do you have a job? What do you do to make a living? Bobby says, oh, I don't have a job, sir but God will provide. The dad says, okay, well, do you have any money, anything in savings, any real estate? What about your assets? Bobby says, sir, I don't have any money. I don't have any of those things, but God will provide. The dad says, okay, well, what are your goals, your ambitions, your dreams? Where do you wanna go in life? Bobby says, sir, I don't know where I wanna go in life. I, I couldn't tell you a goal. I don't have any ambitions. 
but God will provide. Bobby leaves and he leaves the dad just sitting in his chair traumatized and his wife comes in and asks, how did it go with Bobby? And he says, well, I've got bad news and good news. She asks, what's the bad news? The bad news is he has no job, no money, no ambitions, no goals, no dreams. She said, my goodness, what in the world is the good news? Well, the good news is Bobby thinks I'm God. (laughs) Some of you have Bobbies in your life. It illustrates the core of some of the conflicts in our relationships because when a relationship is not refreshing, it's, it's draining, it's unbalanced. Someone expects you to take on the responsibility that they should be responsible for. They expect you to be God. Be God in my money, I've got financial problems, you solve them. Be God in my personality. I have a strange personality, so you adapt to me. Be God in my failures. I've got lots of problems and failures. You solve them for me. Be God in that I cannot get a job. I have a low work ethic, but you find me a job that will work for me. Be God in my emotional issues. I am sad. I am depressed. I need you to say just the right thing. You do just the right thing to make me happy. It's not a refreshing relationship because, hello, that was never meant to be. So here's the question as we begin today. Is anyone asking you to be God? Is anyone asking you to take responsibility for things that are their responsibility? Is anyone asking you to take care of their financial problems? Is anyone asking you to take care of their emotional problems to solve their unhappiness? Here's another way to ask that question. Who is demanding you be responsible for them? Their bills, their emotions, their happiness, their productivity. Because the Bible says that does not work and there is a better way. Proverbs 4.23 says, let's read this out loud together. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Your heart is your inner person your inner man, your inner woman, your values, decisions, thoughts, your heart. Guard your heart. Everything you do in life flows from that. And today we're gonna talk about how to do that. And it begins with two elements that God designed for healthy relationships. Two elements that will keep a relationship in balance so that it can be refreshing. It's two elements characterized by the life of Jesus. At the beginning of the Gospel of John, it says the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ is full of these two things. It's how God relates to us. So my goal is to be conformed to the character of Christ. That's that's the goal of a Christian which would mean my life would be full of these two things, grace and truth, and that my relationships would be characterized by grace and truth. Let's talk about them. If you're taking notes, the first thing we balance is grace. 1 Peter 4.10, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. 
Now, God has given you various gifts of grace, and we are to be a good steward of those. Grace comes to us in two forms. Comes to us vertically, comes to us horizontally. Comes, us, comes to us vertically from God, and it's extended horizontally to other people. First, it comes in a vertical form, straight from God. God gives us grace. It comes into our lives when we put our faith in Christ, when we trust him, it comes into our life by Christ's spirit dwelling in us. Then there's a horizontal form of grace, and that is when we give and receive from each other the various forms of grace God has given to us. Grace is the fuel of a healthy relationship. Relationships that have great grace are great relationships. Where there is grace, uh, there is no judgment, there's no condemnation, there's no separation. When there is condemnation, walls go up. People shut down, pull away, bridges draw up. Where there is grace, we are open with one another and the relationship flows back and forth. That's what grace is all about in a relationship. The second element we balance with grace is truth. Ephesians 4, 15, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Again, the goal, to be more like Christ. Why do we speak the truth in love? So we can grow mature in Christ Jesus. Truth spoken in love helps us mature. The truth we find in the Bible, the truth a wise biblical person speaks into our life, the truthful feedback we give one another. Not in your notes, but grace provides safety. It provides the safety we need in relationships because relationships are tricky. They're difficult. And truth provides the structure that we need in relationships so we don't screw up our life and drive it into the ditch. Grace provides safety. Truth provides structure. And in a beautiful way, God integrates grace and truth together. Through grace, God says, I am for you. Through truth, God says, here is the path, now stay on it. This is the balance required for health, for any healthy relationship. Unfortunately, that balance of grace and truth uh, does not always happen in our relationships because we are broken. So we have the reality of some relationships not being balanced, not being safe, not having a structure. There are two very common ways relationships get knocked out of balance. They both have to do with control. The first one is when someone is out of control. When you have someone who is out of control in their behavior, in their attitude, they're impulsive, they act out, they destroy relationships and other people. They trample on grace, they won't listen to the truth. The Bible talks a lot about a person who is out of control. Romans 13, 13, let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension, and jealousy. When you have these things, when you have someone who is out of control in their behavior or attitude, they're impulsive, they act out, they destroy relationships, they destroy other people, they're trampling on grace, they're disregarding the truth. 
So the relationship no longer has the safety or the structure that it needs. The best example of someone who is out of control in a relationship is an addict. Those of you who have a relationship with an addict know what we're talking about here. An addict is imprisoned by something, alcohol, drugs, gambling, something, food, spending, over shopping. Everything in their life centers around the addiction and they trample on grace and disregard truth because of it, for that addiction. And what can happen is you start taking responsibility for their life. You start taking responsibility for their addiction. You begin taking the role of the parent in their life. You may be that person's child. You may be that person's friend. But you've taken on the role of the parent trying to fix them. You try to enable them, try to rescue them. That is called codependency. Codependency. A codependent person is a person who when they fall off a cliff, someone else's life flashes before their eyes. <laughs> They've spent their entire life trying to rescue someone else. And everything gets out of balance in their life and in your life and in the relationship. It's horrible because they don't get better. The person who's out of control doesn't get better. And the person who's playing the role of a parent doesn't get any better. There's a guy, a really nice guy, but he has a drinking problem. How do you know he has a drinking problem? Because when he, get, when he drinks, he gets drunk. That's how you know he has a drinking problem. Drinking plus getting drunk equals drinking problem. Now he does not think he has a drinking problem. He thinks he has a girlfriend nagging me problem. And if she would stop nagging me, I could drink and be happy. So she has a three-part strategy for this relationship. The first is when he goes out drinking, she is the designated driver. She sits there, watches him and his friends get drunk and drives them all home. The second part of the strategy is she texts him several times a day to see if he's drinking. It's transformation by text. Are you doing bad things right now? Accountability by text. Are you doing bad things now? The third part of the strategy is when he lost his job because of his drinking, she paid his rent for months. How is that strategy working for her? It's not. How's the strategy working for him? It's not. She is miserable. He is not changing. One person is miserable. The other person is not changing. There's another thing that knocks relationships out of balance, and that is when someone is controlling others. We are not to control one another. We are not to force people to do things they do not want to do. Galatians 5.1 says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. He's speaking to a group of people where others have come in in authority and trying to make them do something they don't need to do, they don't want to do. And he says, Christ has set you free. You do not have to do that. One of the many benefits that came through Christ's sacrifice is freedom. 
Jesus died so we could be free from the world, the things that the world wants to make us do. We are free to make choices. In our relationships, we don't have to make one another do things. We get to choose. We are free. There are people who do not want you to have freedom. They want to control the details of your life. So you go along to get along because if you voice your opinion, they do not respond appropriately. There are two kinds of controlling people. There are those who control by anger. So if you do it their way, everything is fine. But if you voice a different opinion, they get angry, they get violent, they swear, they control through anger. The second kind of controlling person, they don't get angry, they get hurt and they pout. They don't control through the physical, but through the emotional. An example of this would be a man uh, who is going on vacation with his wife and family. And this holiday, he's not gonna be able to go see his mom because they're going to another part of the country. So he called his mom and said, we're taking the kids somewhere else this year. We can't come to your house. And after a long pause on the phone, she says, do you know how long I was in labor with you? I carried you for nine months through the hottest summer on record. You won't drive across four states to come and see me. She's not controlling with anger. She's hurt and she's trying to manipulate and control through emotion. Whether you have someone who is out of control or someone who's controlling through emotions like guilt and fear, God never intended for it to be that way. That's not what God wants for your relationships. And this is where boundaries come in. That's the title of this sermon and it also comes from the title of a classic book on this and now a series of books uh, that I believe are just must read. That it's an instrumental message, boundaries, that we all need to return to from time to time. What is a boundary? A boundary is like a property line around your house. A property line that, that says, the property line around your house says, this is my yard, these are my trees, that's my roof, this is my plumbing, this is my electricity. My neighbor, that's his yard, his trees, his roof, his plumbing, his electricity. If my plumbing breaks, it's my responsibility to fix that. If his plumbing breaks, I can go help. That's a nice neighborly thing to do. But ultimately, 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 that's his responsibility to get it fixed. How do I know that? The property line, the boundary has made that clear. Proverbs 4 says, guard your heart. It's like establishing a property line, a boundary that protects everything inside your life. And there are two key aspects to boundaries. The first one is that you love without enabling. You learn to love without rescuing people. Enabling, rescuing, fixing, codependency, those are not love. They're not the same as love. Genuine, authentic, biblical love is not enabling, rescuing, fixing, codependency. Love is wanting and doing what is best for someone. And sometimes that means I'm on your team. I'm rooting for you. But it's not best for you if I fix this problem. 
Galatians 6, verse 2 says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Then in verse 5, it says, each one should carry their own load. Well, isn't this a contradiction? Isn't this two different messages? I've got to carry the burden and my load. How do I do that? If you look carefully at this verse, there's two different words, two different words for a reason. The word burden and the word load. In the Greek, they're two different words. The word burden literally means boulder. A boulder is a back-crushing burden that cannot be carried alone. A burden, it's too heavy. Here's a burden, cancer. Cancer is too heavy a burden to carry alone. A death in the family. The burden of grief is too heavy to carry alone. Divorce. Divorce is too heavy a burden to carry alone. We need to come alongside one another and help one another carry the burdens. The Bible instructs us to serve one another, to come along one another for a season. A boulder isn't something you carry around with you all the time. It's a boulder is something you pick up with other people so you can move it out of the way and get on with life. That's what a burden is. It's for a season to help people remove an obstruction from their life. The word load is the word knapsack, a knapsack that soldiers carried their daily rations. It's something you would carry every day by yourself. What's in the knapsack? It's the routine daily needs of life, the chores, the bills, the meals, the activity. In healthy relationships, we help each other carry one another's burdens and boulders In unhealthy relationships, we start taking responsibility for each other's knapsacks. Some things in life, each person is meant to carry on their own. Some things in life are too heavy for someone to carry and you're not meant to carry it alone. There are boulders, there are knapsacks. We carry boulders together, each of us carries our knapsacks. I have an example of this, an illustration. One time I went backpacking with Pastor Tom, our small groups pastor, and another guy. And we went in July, several years ago. It was very hot. I didn't drink enough water. I overpacked and I became dehydrated and very sick. I could not walk out of the woods. Pastor Tom refers to that trip as the race against the hurl. <laughs> My bags had become a burden to me. So Tom and the other guy divided up my stuff between them and carried those burdens out of the woods so I could walk out of the woods. But you know what happened after Larry from the Double D bait shop showed up with a Gatorade and picked us up? When I started feeling better, they gave me all the stuff I'd overpacked back to me to carry because it was my responsibility. They were great friends. Here's the question to ask if you're not sure you're loving or enabling. You ask, is this something they should be doing for themselves? Getting a job, getting clean, getting sober, controlling their temper, controlling their anger, raising their kids. Should they be doing this themselves? That's the first key to restoring balance. You love without enabling. The second one is we learn to confront with peace. 
because you could confront lots of different ways and with lots of different things. You don't confront with drama, you confront with peace. The purpose of each and every confrontation is peace. Matthew 18, 15, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. That's where it starts, that's the ideal. In our relationships, when things get out of balance, out of control and crazy, we need to tell each other the truth. I have blind spots, you have blind spots. The purpose of a relationship is to be able to say to one another, you missed a spot. You may not be aware of your tone of voice. You may not be aware of your odd behavior. You may not be aware of how your actions are affecting those around you. We speak the truth to one another in love. To say, I'm not trying to beat you up. I'm not judging you. I just want a better relationship. I want a better us. So I've got to tell you the truth here. Now, when you love without enabling and you confront with peace, you are being a steward, a good steward of the relationship. In healthy relationships, this happens all the time. You may not even know it's happening around you all the time. One person at work goes directly to the other person at work they have a problem with. They confront with peace, they address the issue, they settle it. One person in your family goes directly to the other person in the family that they have an issue with, they address it. One sibling goes directly to the other sibling. It happens all the time in healthy relationships. It's about trying to be healthy. A healthy you, a healthy me, a healthy us. You're stewarding that relationship because God has something planned for you to do. If you're pouring your life down the drain, trying to fix or enable or rescue someone who does not want to be fixed, enabled, or rescued, then you're wasting time, you're wasting energy. You're wasting time on something God did not plan for you to do. And you're missing out on what God wants you to do. What do you do when this is not happening? What do you do when balance is not being achieved? You've tried to restore balance, but they will not restore balance with you. There's three doable skills uh, to deal with someone who is out of control or with the person who's trying to control you. What do you do? Number one, and it's so crucial, you start from a position of love. What does that mean? It means I want what's best for them. I don't want evil on them. I don't want them to lose. I don't want them to fall. I don't want them to fail. I want them to win in the biblical sense of the term. You start from that place. I want them to win. John 13, 34, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. God loved us when we were unlovable. God expects us to love one another. You don't start off with an attitude of judgment. You don't start off with I'm going to try and change them or fix them or discipline them or punish them. You start off with, I'm going to love them. 1 Corinthians 13, love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Now, I'm not gonna delight in evil. I'm not gonna delight that their life is being ruined. No, I'm gonna rejoice in the truth. I'm gonna start from a position of love 
and biblical love is doing what's best for them in light of the truth. Biblical love is doing what's best for someone in light of eternity, helping them do the things that help them become healthy and whole in Christ. If someone asks you to buy them a 12-pack, you don't buy them two because you love them. (laughs) If someone is cheating, you don't help them get away with it. Love is moving people towards health and strength, not enabling their weakness. Love does not lock people into their issue. Love helps them move forward toward health. That's biblical love. Number two, you say no when it's best. Sometimes you gotta say no. When someone is out of control, when someone is being controlled, when someone is being harmful, when someone is crossing a boundary, you say no. Matthew 5, 37. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. What happens when you say no, though? They've crossed a boundary. You say no, and they say, why not? Why not? Why can't I come inside after our date? Why can't you just help me out with this one more time? Why won't you give me this reference? Why won't you give that to me? Why won't you take a drink? Why won't you do this with the rest of the team? People who refuse to hear no are trying to control you. And let me give you a great statement of what to say when you've said no and they say why why not. It's five words. That doesn't work for me. That's why. I'm not being mean. It's just that doesn't work for me. It doesn't end our relationship. It just doesn't work for me. So the first skill is you start from a position of love, biblical love. You want them to win. The second skill is you say no when it's best to say no. And sometimes you've got to go beyond words. You have to move to action, not just words. And the third skill is you allow consequences when it is necessary. Proverbs 19.19, a hot-tempered person must pay the penalty. Rescue them and you will have to do it again. A rageaholic will train you uh, that if they act out in rage and get what they want, if they get mad and you give them what they want, they'll do it again. The Bible says don't do that. Don't give in. Some people disregard your words. They disregard warnings like this is not going to go. They disregard everything you say and what they demonstrate is, I don't care about your words. I don't care about your advice. I don't care about your wisdom, your experience, your care. Your words won't change me. The only thing that changes me is consequences. A fool says words don't count. A wise person will let words change them. A wise person invites advice that will change them. A foolish person says, no, it needs to be the consequences that I learn from, the consequences. Just like a three-year-old needs consequences. You can't reason with a (laughs) three-year-old. Junior, stop hitting your sister with that hammer. Junior does not understand that. So what do you do when he keeps hitting his sister with the hammer? He doesn't listen to words. 
he gets a consequence. There's a consequence. Let me be clear. The consequence is not that you hit Junior with the hammer. But you do take the hammer away and you take something else meaningful away so the junior knows you can't hit your sister with a hammer. There are 30-year-olds who are three-year-olds on the inside. Words will not help. They are asking for consequences. If you continue this behavior, I'm not giving you any more money. If you keep doing this, I'm not covering with your boss. If you keep doing this, uh, we're not coming over here anymore. If you keep lying to your parents, I can't help you. If you keep lying to them, we cannot be friends. It moves beyond words to consequences. If you're not going to work, I'm not going to pay your bills. If you lose your license, I'm not driving you around. If you lose your temper, I'm not paying the bail. If you choose to act badly, you're choosing to suffer the consequence. It's not that you inflict the consequence, but you allow them to suffer the consequence they've chosen. You're not judging, you're not punishing, but you're not breaking their fall. You're not enabling. You start with love, you say no when it's best to say no, and you allow them to experience the consequence. Now that's not easy. And those skills are simple, but they are not easy. But if you develop those skills, your unbalanced relationships do get better. Because here's the point, here's the point of boundaries. It's that there is hope for your relationships. Boundaries are not about destroying a relationship. Boundaries are about hope for restoration. Boundaries make unbalanced relationships balanced. They make crazy relationships sane. 2 Corinthians 13, 11. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. God is with you when you're working toward restoration. God wants to help you in an unbalanced relationship. And if you have someone who is out of control or someone who is controlling and you're trying to nag them out of, your, of their behavior, you're trying to enable them out of their behavior, God says, I love them, I love you. I'm on your team. I will give you the grace, the love to help them move forward and toward health. The goal to see restoration. God wants you to show them that he loves them and he'll give you the grace and love to do that. And God wants you to learn to say no when you need to and God will give you the wisdom and courage to let them suffer a consequence if that's what it takes. You are not their savior. You are not the one who needs to rescue them. They have a savior. And that's where restoration happens. Let's turn to him now. Let's pray. God, we desperately need your grace and truth. God, we are lost without you. 
Help us to recognize when someone is out of control and when someone is trying to control us. We need to learn to love uh, without enabling, to confront with peace. So just ask God, say, God, help me to develop the skills to move toward health in my life, to help them move toward health in their life, and to help our relationship move toward health. Just pray, God, help me to start from a position of love. Lord, help me to forgive that person, to see them in a new way, and to truly want what's best for them. God, help me to know when to say no. Help me to say it when it's the best thing to say. God, help me to allow the consequences when necessary so that my relationships can be restored to what you designed for them. God, we worship Jesus Christ today, full of grace and truth, our Savior. And it's in his name we pray, amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love for you to get connected to what's going on at Rockbrook Church. Visit us online at rockbrook.org for service times, small group information, and other ways you can discover your purpose here on earth.